0: and picked up your book we encourage you to do that and to start reading it as we get into this series and uh, we're so thrilled that we can uh, be sharing the word of God with you and learning about what a war room is some of you have seen the movie or are seeing it how many of you have seen the movie the war room oh great and then uh, I had uh, someone mention to me but pastor that's fiction it's not real didn't really happen, and yes, that movie is fiction, and but it is real as well. I have met people already who are setting up their war rooms. Anyone busy setting up your war room, picking out where it is, and doing on where you are. Uh, I had an older gentleman come up to me, and he said, "Mine is going to be my shop. That's going to be my war room." I've, uh, Sandra is going to be in her craft room, mine's my study. I've had someone pick out a laundry room for their war room. And I don't know where yours will be or where you will engage in prayer uh, for the kingdom of God, but I encourage you to find that special place. You can do it outside, uh, but if you're comfortable out there in the winter, it uh, doesn't matter to me, whatever you want. Uh, but f- some place that uh, you set aside as a holy place unto God where you can contend for the kingdom of God and take on the enemy uh many of you are already warriors and i knew you would be the, many of you know what it is to gauge in the battle many of you already know how to listen to god and to hear from god and then to act on how he prays every time i stop and talk to someone i meet a new person i'm immense immensely aware and amazed at uh, the great warriors that are in our midst uh, Are you familiar with that passage that a prophet is without honor? Where? And and I want you to know we've set up this series with Beth, where she's preaching on Nehemiah every other Sunday, and I'm doing this part of the series every other Sunday, uh, is the plan, and because I'm mostly in the New Testament, and Beth is going to be in the Old Testament. What we're learning about the character and the nature of Nehemiah and the real world that he dealt with historically and how he dealt that in a physical and a spiritual parallel is right along the lines of what I am sharing with you today as well. But I want you to tell you about Beth because she is a member of this congregation. But I want you to know she is a rock star. I have found that if you want to be famous, all you need to do is get on a plane and get away from where you are, fly into another place, and you'll be famous. And I also have found out the further you travel, the more famous you become. So if I want to be really famous, I need to get on a plane and fly to Toronto. Or maybe Sydney, Australia. Pastor John from Alberta, Canada has come all the way here. And then you're a celebrity. Am I right? I have other pastors shaking their head. They say, that's exactly right. But when you're back home where everybody knows you and everything about you and knows that you sometimes dress weird or whatever, they don't see you as very special. But one of the things the enemy has convinced us is that we're nothing very special. But there are mighty warriors in this congregation. I've already met them, even this morning, I met one, and uh, just before I got up here, and the the skill, the understanding, uh, you know how I know a great spiritual warrior, I look for scars. If someone says, "I'm a mighty warrior and there's not a scar on them, and they you know, well, what kind of battles have you been in? You haven't seem much but we have some mighty warriors in this congregation and many more to come and many that will know what the fight is. Today I'm going to share with you something I once did not believe uh, something that I found uh, very difficult to accept and I'm going to talk about the enemy today. Uh, I don't often preach on this but it's critical that we get into this. I didn't always believe Uh, that there is a real evil in this world, but uh, it's important that we address this issue. Our passage, if you're following along with me, is found in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to be mainly focusing on uh, verse 8 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. uh, but I want to read a little before and after that so that you can understand the context of this section I'm dealing with. I'm going to start at verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. But, But be shepherds of God's flock, This is that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. (laughs) As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when Christ the Shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility to one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I was a pastor um, after I had uh, graduated from college, graduated from seminary, my master's degree. I planted a church in Brad Creek, and then I went and taught at a Bible college. And while I was there, I was working on my doctorate at Fuller Theological Seminary. And then after uh, I realized I was uh, teaching longer than I had been pastoring, I decided God was calling me back to do pastoring again and uh, I went to the west Kootenays of British Columbia, uh, a little town called Castlegar. Oh, <laughs> you know Castlegar? Any Doukbors here? <laughs> All right. And uh, it was the shortest pastorate I ever had. And uh, I was preaching one Sunday. I was about a month into it, just like. I am about now, and uh, after the service, I had uh, an elder of the church come up to me and said, Pastor John, I want to know. What do you need to know? He said, I want to know if you believe in Satan or in a literal hell. Now, I know a trap when I hear one. (laughs) And I didn't know where this guy was coming from. I didn't know what I was being set up for. And I think he saw the bit of the panic in my eyes and he said, no, no, I'm not trying to do de- I just really want to know. I've got questions myself, and I just want to know where you're coming from. And I said to him, I had really hadn't thought about it a lot, and I said, well, I really think uh, Satan is a metaphor for human failure, and I don't know if I really believe in the literal hell. And uh, he said, okay. He said, now, if I would give you uh, a series of passages uh, would you be willing to show me uh, and tell me what you think about the passages? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. What You're supposed to do that as a pastor, right? So someone gives you Bibles to read, so you're, you're supposed to read it. So okay, I'll do that. And uh, as I got into the Word and started reading about this, I found I couldn't dismiss the concept of evil simply being as a metaphor of moral failure of human beings. The Bible really does talk about demonic forces, and Satan, and a literal hell, and and if I'm intellectually honest, I can't just dismiss it, because if I dismiss that, there's a lot of stuff I'm going to have to dismiss from the Word of God I don't want to dismiss. They're kind of connected to together, and you just can't just surgically divide the two without doing violence to many other things that you might find precious. I didn't really want to get into this, but I did. But now, as I look back onto that I believe uh, God sent that man into my life to get me ready for something that was coming. Even though I I saw that there could be a biblical foundation for Satan and hell and so on, that did not come to make me to believe that there is a literal Satan. If it's just theoretical, just like a theoretical understanding of God, that doesn't mean you believe. You might have, well, it could be. But you know what makes you really believe that there is actual evil in this world that is not uh, you or me? It is the encounter of it when you actually meet it. Belief in real evil incarnate, is much like belief in a real good incarnate it is based largely on experience. You can tell me about Jesus all day long. But until Jesus comes to me and convicts me of my own sin and and says, John, I'm coming for you, I, don't, I really don't. It's just an idea or a concept. But when Jesus comes for me, any of you read uh, "Surprised by Joy" by uh, C.S. Lewis? Uh, he talks about his conversion from atheism, and he said uh, he was one of the most unreluctant converts of all of England. He sat in his office as a professor at Oxford and he reasoned and he thought and he struggled with the scriptures and the way he thought. And he just could see and made perfect sense in that he ought to commit himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I could hear God walking down the halls of Oxford for me and beginning to knock on the doors of my chamber. And I didn't want it, but he was—he couldn't deny the reality. God came for CS Lewis and he went from atheist to one of the greatest champions of the Christian faith post World War II. Belief in Satan is largely the same way. When you encounter him, you'll believe him. And it does happen. Now, if you've never had this encounter, oh God bless you. That's fine, but doesn't mean uh, that it isn't coming. God wants effective warriors. For a battle, and the battle is against evil itself. It's not against people or other things. In order to be effective, we need to know what we're fighting. God wants an effective warrior. He wants you, and he wants me for this great battle that is going to be taking place. Why is this important? It's important for several reasons. If you're going to defeat your enemy, you need to know your enemy you understand that? You need to know how he operates, what his tactics are, and what it is about. Uh, The scripture tells us that we are not unaware of Satan and his schemes. We know how he operates. He has favorite methodologies, and we can quickly identify what they are and undo the schemes that he has. You need to know who your enemy is. I've been living in the States for the last 22 years And uh, during that time, I was there during the 9-11 attacks. You're familiar with the anniversary coming up. The United States went to war uh, against terrorism. And for the long time, the debate in the news was, uh, well, we can't call them um, radical fundamentalist Muslims that are the enemy. We have to be nebulous about what these terrorists are. And the great debate in military circles is, if you don't identify your enemy, how are you going to defeat your enemy if you don't know who they are and aren't able to name them? And uh, one of the great debates in military circles is, who is the enemy and how do you identify them? In any conflict, this is the great question that we need to face. You need to know what they're about, what their end goal is, and how they operate against us. If you think... Satan does not exist, then he will win from the shadows. He wants you to pay no attention to him. He wants you to look at everything else and pay no attention to him. He's basically a sniper. He doesn't like head-on fights, although he will do that as well. Evil likes to point the blame at others. And his favorite is God. The scripture says, uh, Don't stand in the way of accusers. The scripture says that Satan appears before the throne of God night and day, accusing the saints. He is an accuser. Do you like accusers? You don't like them. In court, he's the prosecution, and Christ is my defender. He accuses and attacks and tear down all the time. And if you don't know he's there, he whispers accusations in your head. But his end goal is always to blame God for everything. Because I'm not here, blame God. It's not me. I didn't do it. You know any kids like that? All right. But I want you to know a very basic premise. I'm going to say this over and over again throughout my ministry to you because we will listen to the enemy and we will not believe it. But God's word is very clear on this. God is not the problem. People are not the problem. You are not the problem. Evil is always the problem. Amen? Amen. Okay, we say that now, but there will be a day when you'll find that difficult to say again. Let me introduce you to the enemy. His name is Satan. The scripture says, Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour I don't know if you like this or if you don't like this, but what does the Bible says you have an enemy? Who does he say the enemy is? It's the devil. It's not God. It's not you. It's not me. It's not that neighbor who just annoys you to death and everything else. The enemy is the devil. And you've got to get really clear on this. If you don't think he's exist, you don't know he's the enemy. And that's what we're going to be dealing with today. Our enemy is Satan and the demonic forces that uh, fell from the heavens. One of those passages that are handed to me and I had to struggle with scripturally in my life is that uh, famous one that comes to us that talks about uh, the fall of Satan. It comes from us from Revelations chapter 12, 7 through 10. Then a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Now, there are people who will argue with this passage. Well, you can't build a theology on Revelations. John, that is metaphorical and who knows what it really means and all that kind of stuff. But the scripture mentions this also in Daniel and other places in the Word of God. It's not the first time it's mentioned in Revelations that Satan is thrown down. There is a great war that was being fought. We're setting up war rooms to be gauged in this battle. But I want you to know this war began before human creation. It was already engaged in the heavens above before the Garden of Eden because there we have in the Garden of Eden Satan himself to lead astray Adam and Eve. He was there already, already on the earth, already present. All this had already taken place and the conflict was on. And the conflict is between God and Satan and we are in the battlefield with this great conflict. And God intends to win this battle through you and through the power of of the word of God which is the sword of the word of God we're told to be alert about this enemy and his presence it is a different kind of an enemy I want to tell you about his nature because of this great fall Satan and his host used to be angels angels we know have bodily form as created beings before the throne of God you can see them they touch them they can do physical things and do all that all the time I'm not going to get into angels today But when Satan lost this great battle, they were thrown to the earth. And the scriptures say they are disembodied. They have no physical form. They are just spirit. And in that state, it's a form of hell for them. When the Hebrew people described Seol and hell, it described it as a disembodied state where you lost physical connection. For the Jewish people, that's the worst thing in the world. Not be able to eat and smell and do all these physical things, that would be horrible. God created me with, to have a body and a soul and a spirit, and we we're meant to have all three together. We look towards the hope and the resurrection, and in the resurrection I'm going to get a new body. Anybody want a new body? <laughs> right? but it's going to be based on the platform of this body, but just new and improved and much better than the one I've got. It'll be look at Christ and be like Christ and be transformed. And Christ has a physical body. And on his resurrected body, he has the marks of the crucifixion, scars, warrior scars on his body. Not because they're shameful, but because they speak of his glory. So angels have bodies. Jesus has a body, still God incarnate. I'm going to have a body, but demonic beings do not. Nowhere in scriptures do you see an angel possessing an animal or a person. They don't need to because they have their own being. But in scriptures do you hear about spirits, evil spirits possessing pigs and people and doing all kinds of things because they don't have a physical existence and they want to experience vicariously through those things they can occupy. It's part of their torture and their loss from the fall that they experienced. They're seeking that and they want to know it in your life too. Their goal is to take control and to gain some of this back for what they have lost. This is a a critical part in understanding what we're dealing with and what their goal and their understanding is in life. So here we go. The enemy is evil incarnate, the devil. People are influenced by the tyrant, which we call Satan or the devil. And that influence drives them towards to do evil things. As we heard in our prayer time about the killing of farmers in South Africa, uh, who's the enemy here? The enemy is Satan himself. And it's not the people who do the killing. Because people are not the problem. They are never the problem. They are only the willing pawns of the enemy the scriptures tells us and you should know this verse really well by now In Ephesians 6 12 for our struggle is not against what I think he said flesh and blood for a very good reason because well he's not a real person well it doesn't matter and does he have flesh and blood do they bleed do they have skin it's not that is not the enemy no matter who you think they are But it's against rulers, against authorities, and against powers of darkness, of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now this is really important because uh, Satan has a strategy to distract you from uh, what you are really dealing with. And it has to do with these authorities and powers and rulers in the heavenly realms. Our enemy wants you to believe he is equal to God. And when you read the scriptures, does that sound like something he's always wanted to be? At least equal if not greater than God himself. That's what he intends. We know that God in his ability can know all things. He can uh, be all-powerful and he can be all-present. And Satan wants you to believe that he has the same powers. That he can be anywhere, so he can know everything, he can do anything. He wants to imitate uh, God. But I want you to know the reality about him. He can't. He can't know everything. He's very limited in what he can know. And he can't be everywhere. And so he's limited in what he can accomplish and he can do. But he wants to create the illusion that he has the power of it. In reality, uh you will probably never deal with the demonic being called Satan in your entire life. Did you know that? And we are so used to, in our Christian walk, saying, well, Satan is just really dealing with me. You're probably not dealing with them at all. You're probably dealing with some lesser being of the demonic host that is assigned to you as a case. C.S. Lewis, I told you about it, earlier, wrote a book called Screw Tape Letters. And in that he explored the problem of evil and he had a a fictional book where a a, a senior devil is writing to his nephew devil about uh, a case or a human being that he was assigned to and how to manage his case. And C.S. Lewis uses this uh, format to explain tactics of the enemy and to understand how the enemy operates. And one of the things he makes clear is that we need, they want to create the illusion that you are dealing with Satan himself every day and not a minor being that is there. So that you have this unreasonable fear that Satan knows what you're thinking, he knows everything before you do it, but it's just not true. It's just not that strong. In most cases, I've, I've never met Satan himself. I've never had. Now, Jesus Christ did. Did Christ have to deal with the big guy himself? Yes, he absolutely did. But you'll notice in Ephesians it says, Our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and rulers and authorities of the air or of the heavenly realms that Satan distributes his fallen demonic hosts and gives them assignments and regions and controls over certain areas. And he says, you do this area and you work on that area and make it look like I'm there when he's not. So now it should encourage you to know that the enemy is so limited and God is so powerful. If you can get beyond the illusion of it, you don't need to fear him so much. You can take him on and you can figure out how to deal with this force that is there. But uh, we'll never deal with him direct. We will most often deal with his subordinates that will pretend to be their master. There's only a few things you need to remember about this enemy that we face don't first off be of sober mind right don't consider him more powerful than he really is but secondly don't dismiss the reality of what he can do if you're going to know your enemy don't make them worse than what they really are but don't underestimate your enemy as well know what he can do and how you can do it and what their tactics are be alert And sober-minded. So when we talk about the enemy, we're not here to create fear and anxiety or anything else. And actually, what I'm trying to do is get you ready to take him on, to do something to accomplish, to win the wars that we are fighting against this great opponent of ours. His greatest power is based on lies and deceptions. Has the enemy ever lied to you? Of course, if you're breathing... He's lied to you. Have you ever believed a lie he has told you? If you're breathing, yes, you have. We all have. Now, uh, I used to work at Home Depot not long ago. And uh, it wasn't long before they realized, I have a certain gift. I can sell stuff. And uh, and I can sell just about anything to anyone if I really want to. I have ethical issues, but God gave me a saint and a conscience, so that's called Sandra, <laughs> that keeps me on the straight and narrow. But I have filtered with wicked and evil ways, and in some ways I can understand how uh, the demonic force is a great force. Because if you can convince the people of a deception, you can do anything. Do you know how to sell snow to an Eskimo? I'll tell you how to sell snow to an Eskimo. You open up a snow store. And in the snow store, you have aisles of carefully pre-cut selected snow. Snow for building, snow for premium snows. snows that are unpolluted, that are pure, regular snows at a lower price, good, better, and best snows. Pre-done, pre-cooked so they don't have to work so hard. It's all done. This is great for pre- you. This is premium. We went to great lengths to get this block of snow so you could be- build the best igloo ever. And we have pre-dyed it with colors that are in fashion this year. And they'll say, I don't have to work. And we'll deliver it for a small fee and we'll have it assembled for you. Just tell us where you want it. And it won't cost a great deal. We do have financing plans and a good company credit card you can get. That's how you sell snow to an Eskimo. You can do it. You can convince people, I've got to have that. I'll be really in. And it is a wicked and evil thing to, to convince people of things they don't need, to get them to do things that are totally pointless. So based on ideas and concepts that are not essential to their life. The enemy is a salesperson. He convinces us of things that are illusions. And we will risk our lives and the lives of other people on the deceptions that he makes. Does anybody know that as a real thing? Now I'm going to tell you the end goal of his deceptions. This is a harsh reality. Satan has two things he wants you to do before You go away from this world. He wants you to curse God and then he wants you to die and make it final. Everything he does is to that end goal. The salesman is to get you to sign up for a credit card, Satan's goal is for you to curse God and die. Is that ever mentioned in the scriptures? Remember Job's wife? That lovely woman going through all that anguish he said why don't you just curse god and die just jumped right to the end that is straight from a battle plan from the demonic mouth now it'll take a while for us he uses depression and anxiety and fear and lies and all kinds of things to get us but if you know where he's going you know what his end goal his greatest power is based on lies and deceptions is everyone clear on that or do you believe this All right. When Jesus died upon the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Well, they looked like what they knew what they were doing. They said they knew what they were doing. It went through a court, so it was official. We know what we're doing. But Jesus said, What? They don't know. what they're doing. Why would he say that? They a lie. Thank you, Arnie. You filled in there. That's right. They believed a lie. They thought Jesus was the enemy. He's not. They believed a lie. And if the court case had gone on and The reality of who Jesus was they would realize that they had executed an innocent man it's not the first time it's not the last time but that's what the enemy does he says father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing they are influenced by evil Jesus didn't see the people that were nailing him to the cross the Pharisees the Sadducees the enraged Jewish people the Roman soldiers he looked at them all and he said these are not my enemies these are the ones I've come to redeem." and to set free from the enemy. This is the enemy working through them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Would it change your life to realize that people you're in conflict are not your problem? That it's another force in their lives that is the problem. And if you can address that, you can do just about anything. I've got a maximum that says people are never the problem. Now, it goes along with this, and Arnie, a philosopher, you'll like these Corleys. So here it goes, it goes this way. If people are the problem, there's only one solution. You have to shoot them, divorce them, and lock them up, and the problem will go away. But if you shoot them and divorce them and lock them up, and the problem does not go away, were they the problem? No. Something else was the problem. So... Jesus said forgive them because he wanted to deal with what the real problem. And by his death and by his resurrection, he was able to deal with that through the new birth. Scripture goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 5, after this section about being alert and about your real enemy, it says resist him, standing firm in the faith. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. So we are to come against this being and all his host and not just let him have the day to resist the evil you must speak with authority to him and what he is doing there is uh, many accounts uh, of when uh, Jesus walked this earth and he spoke with authority towards demonic beings did he not did he not speak to them I don't know how I got through seminary saying, I don't think it's real. And there he is, Jesus casting out demons and talking about demonic beings. But there it is, and you can't just get it around it. In order to have authority over evil, you must be born again to have that authority. The only one who has authority over evil is one who is born again because the only thing that gives you the authority is the Holy Spirit that comes into your spirit on the day that you hear the gospel and you believe in it and you receive salvation from Jesus Christ. You are marked and sealed, as it says in Ephesians chapter one, with the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of your inheritance. But it is your authority. He is your guide, your counselor, and He gives you the authority over evil itself. Now, here's the amazing thing: only people who are born again, the church, the true church, have authority over evil. It is the only people on the face of the earth that can deal with evil. There is no one else. Don't wait for the cavalry or someone else to show up. They're not coming. You're it. Ouch. Now I find uh, the enemy wins most battles because we don't show up. If you don't show up, what does the enemy do? He takes it. If you back away, if you retreat, the enemy is more than glad to advance in those territories. The only way we gain a better world is for us to push against this authority by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Only those who have the Holy Spirit have the power to come against this evil power. Consider this passage from the Bible, and uh, it comes from Acts 19:13 through 16, and you may have heard this story before. Some Jews went around and driving out evil spirits, Try to invoke the name of our Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, great authority, great credits, right? And uh, they were doing this. And one day, an evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus, I know. Paul. I know about, but who are you to have this authority over me? Who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped, <laughs> imagine that on the, one guy on seven jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. If you are not born again, you do not have the authority. But you can be five years old, you could be ten years old, be born again, and you have that authority of what seven men couldn't do in and of their own strength. Now, the important part of this passage that says this is not magic. I have a pet peeve. You want to know what my pet peeve? I don't care. I'm gonna tell you what my pet peeve is. I I watch this. I watch movies and seri- TV series. I do this to see, okay, what are they trying to tell us in the culture about what we should believe? Sandra finds it irritating. But I watch these things, and she'll say, why are you watching that, you know? So I'm learning, and I'm doing a cultural analysis. He's oh, I can't stand it. So she'll walk away. But one of the things that gets my attention is the rise of... Um, spiritualism in sitcoms and series and so on. And they even have gone to spiritual wars. And what I find hilarious is in every movie or series I've ever seen, the pastor doesn't know what he's doing and has no power. You, you agree? And then they find out in desperation the only solution is to cast a spell on the demonic being and the more spells i cast or the better i get at it the more power i have over evil what a crock that is a joke that's not how it works that's a lie straight from the pit of hell it's the opposite of that anybody agree have you seen that it is totally wrong But that's what the enemy is doing. He's saying, okay, I've got more people thinking they need to fight evil. They realize I'm around. I'll just give them a solution that they can do it through magic and I'll co-opt them into my forces without them even knowing it. That's how he does it. He's a great salesman. He will tell you to trade in uh, Christ being born again and the word of God for some little magic spell or crystal or something that really does nothing at all. I have wrestled with my uh, young daughter when she was growing up. Any of you fathers wrestle with your kids? And at some stage, do you pretend that your children have immense powers who can throw you across the room and can pin you to the ground and you just sort of play act and they think it's really fun to wrestle with dad? I did that with my daughter. My goal was to teach my daughter how to beat up any young man that would mess with her at an older age. So I wanted her to be aggressive. Uh, As she was getting older, I realized that uh, she really thought she had this power over me. She was convinced that she was that strong. So one day I decided not to let her throw me across the room and pin me down, and I resisted. You know what happened? She got mad. (laughs) She got really angry with me. And she would growl, and she would just come at me harder, and so on. She didn't realize that I was pretending. When the enemy says, well, do a little magic spell and cast me out. And you say, oh, you got me. But it's a feign. He's pretending it's not real. The only real power there is is the power of God to overcome evil. And only those who are born again who have those authority and only those who use the word of God And the name of Christ, with the authority of the Holy Spirit, can do anything about it. If you are born again, then you have that authority in Jesus Christ. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, it says in Matthew 10, verse 1, and he gave them what? Thank you. Authority over what? (laughs) To cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Christ gives us that authority. I have, it says later on in Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And it says later on in Acts 1, 8, when Jesus ascended into the heavens, he said, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and Millerville and Turner Valley, Black Diamond, wherever you are, and to the very ends of the earth. It comes, all this authority is given not so that you can think, well, look at me. It's given so you can win a battle. Do you understand? This is why we need war rooms and warriors who will take on this enemy. We ask Father God and we command demonic beings with the authority of God. Don't ever, ever confuse one with the other. Don't make demands of God. You ask Father God and you exercise authority over evil. Do you understand the difference? A very different kind of prayer. We resist the enemy and we do it by binding, gagging, and blinding. I've learned these strategies from the Word of God. When uh, Beth is leading us through the Old Testament and many other parts of the Old Testament, you will see Uh, actual real physical battles there are fought but they're fought not like any other historical context because when God fights a battle he fights it different than anybody else and they are the basis for understanding of how we can engage in spiritual battles that now we know who the real enemy is they're not Babylonians and Egyptians and all those the real enemy is Satan himself so how do we deal with that well if the enemy is limited and he wins from the shadows by strategy and salesmanship and lies and deceptions. My goal is to get rid of that strategy to take away the power that he has. How do I do that? I exercise authority, and first thing I do is bind. I'm not usually dealing with Satan, so I will bind a demonic being. I will sit down with someone, I'll be meeting you. I want you to know what's going on in your pastor's head while he's talking with you, all right? Because not everything you hear coming out of my mouth is going on in my head. I have a, another split level up there. And there's something else is going on. Because when I talk with people, I'm also praying. And if I'm dealing with someone who does not know the Lord, who's got some serious problems, I kick into my prayer life in my war room up here, and I, and I start binding. I said, Lord, if there is any demonic being here in the name of Jesus, I command it to be bound, that it might not interfere in any way. And bound means they're all tied up and they can't interfere because demonic beings have influence where they can actually change things physically and who we are. Do any of you believe that demonic beings can actually influence your body? I have got lots of stories to tell you about that. They can, but I can bind them Silently in my head. I can just shut them down. I don't want them to have any uh, show or anything else. I just shut them down. And then I gag them. I gag them as when you put a clock on their mouth, and they can't say anything or speak because the one thing I don't want a demonic doing is speaking. I want them to shut up and be quiet. Remember, Paul was standing before a governor and while he was talking, another a sorcerer was there, and he kept interrupting Paul. It was like being interviewed on Fox News. You can't get one word out, and this guy's talking. And finally, he just says, You will be silent in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't think he was speaking to the man. I think he was speaking to the spirit in the man, and the man couldn't say a word. He was gagged. I'd literally do that in my mind. i say, if there are any lying spirits here, i just pray that you would shut them up, that they can no longer speak, and whisper their lies in this person's life. And then I blind. And I find this out I learned later on in great conflicts to understand the strategy here. I pray that over this church every time I come here. You know when I pray, when I pray for the enemy to be blind? There is a story of uh, Elijah, he's with his servant, and they, the king uh, of, that was opposing Israel was, uh, realized that Elijah was the problem. He said, he was advised, you know, how does Israel know when we're going to attack, where we are, and what we're going to do? And he says, well, Elijah the prophet, it's like he listens in on your private conversations. He knows exactly what you're going to do before you do it. He is, you've got to get rid of this guy because he's giving all this intel to the king of Israel. So he sends an entire army against one guy. Entire army. And there's Elijah with his... Uh, uh, with his uh, servant who he's mentoring, and he sees a whole army coming at him. And the servant, oh, no, we're done for, the servant says. And he said, praise for his, the eyes of his servant to be open. He said, the greater are those that are with us than they who are with them. And he saw the, the servant's eyes were open. he saw angelic hosts, the chariots of God all around him, the great army of God. But Elijah never used it. He could call on this great army of God to defeat that army. He never used it. Jesus could have called on leads of angels to save him from dying on the cross. Never used it. He even told Pilate, I could do that, but I'm not. There is a greater power than that. What Elijah did, is he said, Lord, would you blind them? Take away their sight. And that's all he did. And he walks up to these blind soldiers that can't see anything. He said, are you lost? Well, let me help you. They take him to a church potluck, and they feed him. <laughs> Pray for their sight to be restored. The sight was restored. They said, "Should we kill them? You know, James and John, the sons of David. Should we call down hellfire and brimstone on these?" Things? No, don't kill them. Just feed them. Send them home. We don't. They are not the problem. When I realize that the enemy is, tries to strategize against me, I pray that the enemy will be blind. That he will not see, nor perceive, nor understand what the church is doing and how it's doing it. So he will not be able to form a strategy against you or against me. Wouldn't you rather have your your enemy to be ignorant? So what's going on over there? I keep looking over there to Millerville and it's like it doesn't exist. I can't see it. What's going on in there? I just shut it down. I have that authority. You have that authority. He hides me in the cleft of the rock and covers me. There with his hand. Scripture describes God as uh, spreading his wings over me and protecting me. Isn't that great? The enemy doesn't have to know a thing. We can shut him down right away. Those are three strategies that I pray against the enemy. And I'm giving these free of charge to you as things you can use. You can also renounce and rebuke. And this is an important part in your own life. Renounce and rebuke. Renounce from rebuke are uh, different things. When I rebuke, I usually do that in other people's lives. The enemy only gains ground in our lives because of invitation. We've invited it into our lives in one way or the other. We might not always know how we're inviting the enemy into our life. It's usually a sales job, and before you know it, he's got you signed up to a credit card, and you just have invited him into your life. If you're trying to get him out of your life, you ask the Lord, "What? how did he get in here and how do I get rid of him? We've had a gopher uh, invade this uh, church building more than once, right? And the elders and other people say, how did that gopher get in here? And so we hunt down, we try to... We we get rid of the gopher and get it out of here. We renounce it and rebuke it, but we also try to figure out how did it get in. Satan's no different than that gopher getting into this building. You've got to figure out how did he sneak his way in and worm into my life. I need to shut that down and seal it up. When we uh, rebuke, I can rebuke the gopher. Uh, I might not be friends with a gopher, but I can rebuke it. But it's always temporary when I rebuke something. I said, be silent. Uh, Paul will say to the spirit, be silent. But it's a temporary thing because if someone has invited that spirit into their life, that lie, it is there by invitation. I can't remove it for someone. I cannot remove a lie from someone's life if they've already invited it into their life. I can rebuke it, but I can't remove it. The only one that can remove a lie from their life is you, the one who invited the lie into your life. If I believe a falsity, like there is no Satan, the only one I can remove that falsity is me. I've got to, you know what Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth. I have to choose the truth and I have to renounce the lie I can rebuke a lie in someone else but for my own self I have to renounce the lie so I no longer believe in that I no longer believe that is true I now believe in what the scripture says and I declare that and it's important when you renounce something that you say it with your mouth so your ears can hear it so you can convince yourself of it because if it's just an idea floating in your mind it's not enough I want you to know Satan cannot read your thoughts did you know that he can guess. Do, you, do any of you married? <laughs> do you have spouses who think they know what you're thinking? They look at your face. and You're thinking, right? And how often are they wrong? Many times, right? Many times. The enemy makes guesses, but he doesn't really know. The scripture says, only God knows what's in the heart. Of the man, only God knows. God knows things about me I don't know about me. Only God really knows me better than I know myself, right? So I can't uh, always know what it is. So when when you renounce something, you have to do it for yourself, where you say, "I no longer believe that. I now believe the truth of this, and I renounce that evil and that lie, and I'll have nothing to do with it ever again." And that gives you victory. How many times do you need to renounce a lie? Sometimes a lot, right? Oh, you're never going to amount to anything. You always mess up. God doesn't care. Oh, my goodness. How many times do you have to renounce lies like that? In the eyes of God, you're a child of God. You matter. Jesus gave his life for you. Of course, you matter. If he would do that, he will give you anything as long as you can come to him. Renounce and rebuke. And finally, and to remove, to uh, extract these forces from territories and lives and that they have conquered. As you can tell, I could go on for another three hours, but I'm going to wrap this up. From our lives, from our homes and our places to intended to occupy for the kingdom of God. Because, you know, the family of believers throughout the world, it says, is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now I've got to touch on this, and I'll do this real quick, and we're going to wrap this up. Because when you engage in the evil, and you have all this power, and you realize that the enemy is, uh, uh, is limited in what he can do, this creates a great dilemma for us. And the dilemma we suffer is this one. If we have all this power and all this authority in Jesus Christ over evil in this world, which is the real problem, then why do we suffer so much? And in this passage it says the world, your family of believers, Christians like you and me, all over the face of the earth are undergoing the same kind of sufferings at the hands of evil. Well, why are we suffering if we have all this authority? We need to address this evil because the enemy will use it against us. The objective of King Jesus is this, is that everyone would be saved. He doesn't want anyone lost. He wants everybody in the kingdom of God. And it says in 1 Timothy 2 through 4, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions... Prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, this is what you do in your war rooms, be made for all people because they're not the problem. Make it for all people. For kings and those in authority. Has anyone told you in the news media that those in authority are the problem? Pray for them. That, they, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness that is good and pleases God our Savior. Verse 4, Who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. So if we don't fight people, they are not the enemy. We are to live peacefully with them. We fight our enemy, Satan, and his demonic beings. We speak the truth of Christ to people and we silence the enemies with lies with the authority of Christ that we've talked about. And those seeing though even though we do all this in the power and authority of Jesus Christ, people are so trapped in the deceptions of the enemy that they are always seeing and they do not see, they're always hearing, and they do not understand what we are trying to accomplish. Yet we can pray that their eyes will be opened. We can ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth. And the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, the veil is a deception or a lie over their heart. And if that lie or that deception could be pulled back, they would see, they would understand and they would receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's only one reason no one would, hear, anyone would reject the gospel of Christ on the first hearing is because they're not in their right minds. But it happens all the time because we are not in our right minds. We believe lies and we believe deceptions. The veil of the enemy. We want people to freely choose the truth of Jesus, but there are many who will not. And do you know this to be true? They have an unreasonable hatred for the gospel of christ and their hatred isn't theirs they are reflecting a demonic hatred of the gospel because of this we may have to endure sufferings at the hands of those or who are held captive by our real enemy and we suffer as christ suffered on the cross as all the apostles suffered greatly because we're trying to redeem those who have come against us from the real enemy, which is Satan. We do this in hopes that they may be redeemed from this evil. Paul continues to say this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all surpassing power is from God and not from us. And warriors, if you have not underlined this passage from 2 Corinthians 4, you should in your Bibles. And be realistic about verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. This is a warrior's life, right? It was true about the first apostles of Christ. Should we expect the battle to be any different from us? We believe that we win the battle with our real enemy. We will win many for the kingdom of God. The God of peace, it says, I've got this scripture carved in wood on my war room wall. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Are you ready for the battle that matters, which is against evil, your real enemy? Are you born again? Do you have the authority over that evil? Do you have a war room from which you are willing to fight, bang, gang, blind, renounce, do all those things to expand the kingdom of God? If not, why not? What's holding you back? This is where our victory lies. And if you're ready to learn more about warrior prayers, and over the last while I've had people say, I want to know more. John, you just open up a can of worms on Sunday and leave me. I want to learn more about it. If you are willing or have started a war room, if you're reading the battle plan for prayer as a common basis of understanding, and then uh, we invite you to sign up for special training and uh, for advanced training in prayer and coaching and how to get there so that you can start engaging the enemy and taking them on in very real ways. Uh, The time to fight back and to start winning is right now, and the battle is for the hearts and souls of people that we are fighting for. Will you pray with me for just a moment? Lord, we thank you for this message, and uh, we know, Lord, that we've gone a little longer, and the enemy is trying to tell us that we're tired, and we're supposed to end on time, and we're supposed to eat our meals, and worried about all these other things but we know lord that what we have heard today is a life-changing lesson about what's really going on i pray lord we'd leave this place eager to exercise and to take authority over the enemy and to turn things around in our lives because lord these people are not the problem no one's the problem if we can separate evil from people we can redeem anyone we can save anyone by the power of christ Lord, we pray that for it to be, and that your kingdom will grow and expand into that very territory the enemy has held too long. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.